This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Attention, the Milf and Me podcast contains strong language, mature conversations about sexuality and a multitude of lifestyles, as well as occasional criticism of political fuckery. Keep politics out of your pants, folks. Your hosts, Antonio and Diana, are not certified relationship specialists. We are cynical assholes with microphones, pretty much like every other podcast. We are happy to be a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. Visit them online or on your favorite social media platform, and be sure to check out the two featured podcasts of the month. Those are the Take on the World podcast and the Beard Laws podcast. And now, with that out of the way, enjoy the show. Girl dinner. Want to know what's crazy? My mom always cooked dinner. Then my dad died. She stopped cooking. Started eating sardines and pickles, or just an onion. Sometimes leftover ice cream in the freezer. You, you know, the one that has a little freezer burn? I live at home, and it was me, my mom, my dad. And she cooked dinner. Now it's me and my mom. All that stopped. So did she just cook for him? I asked her. She said yeah, and that she doesn't need much. And honestly, same. I'll be eating half a grilled cheese and some gummy worms, while she's munching down on some leftover hummus and an old cucumber. I like this life. I want my future husband to know that I'll only be serving girl dinner. I'm not going out of my way to make boy dinner. <laughs> boy dinner. Hello and welcome to the Milf and Me podcast. We've got my wonderful guest co-host, Mariah of the Salty Sex Cast. Welcome back. Howdy, howdy. Four times. That's yeah. a record. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, five times because you were here before. That's right. Well, so, co-host yeah. four. Co-host there. four. Absolutely. Standard MILF four times. And I'm not going to lie. I'm honored. I love having you on the Thank couch. You. I love Thank being you. able to talk to you. I miss Diana terribly. Hopefully she comes back soon. Yeah. But I've been really enjoying this time to get to know you better. Thanks. The listeners getting to know you better, getting your viewpoints on things and my opinionated viewpoints. <laughs> well, you're also a lot more educated than Diana and I are. That's a compliment. Not saying that Diana and I are dumb, but we will say that we're big idiots when it comes to a lot of things. It's mostly opinion, but I feel like I can get the assurance that there is some real genuine earned knowledge in our conversations <laughs> and that we're not just pointing our listeners in the wrong direction based on opinion. I'll back up your shit now and again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh that. <laughs> I feel like we don't go too out of pocket when we're saying things. Yeah. At least when it comes to the uh, emotionally intelligent side of it where like I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. I'm not trying to create a platform like some of these people on social media are. And that's how I sleep at night, knowing that I can do a podcast that we can have opinions, but we're also very, very sure that they are just opinions and not, you need to do this and you need to get your laughs right if you don't do this. So yeah, that's the danger because now that we are getting more viewers and we are seeing more comments, mm. it's like, okay, they missed the point. Like we are not telling you what to do. Yep. This is really just us talking about how we view the world and if you want someone to tell you what to do, go to school, <laughs> you know, no, pay, pay someone to tell you how to do it. If you want to know what to do yourself, go to school. Right. Exactly. Right? Think, exactly. You know, uh, that's so important. And, and that's how I did my podcast, the salty sex cast. Like mm -hmm. I had so many people on there that I did not personally agree with their message. Yeah. I was very uncomfortable to talk to them, but I did it in a place of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So then you as a listener could expand your awareness and then make informed decisions. Right. No one's trying to take away your free will and do not blame your mistakes on listening to a podcast like shame on you. Right. But use podcasts to expand your awareness pool. And I highly recommend people to listen to podcasts that maybe are different from their views mm -hmm. Because then they can see why they're different or why, where they stand, not just I'm blindly standing over here because this is what I want to believe. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I have yet to bring on a host or a co-host or a guest that I feel uncomfortable talking to because of a difference of opinion. Mm. I am 
wanting to. I just haven't made that connection yet. It's hard to get those people on because they have different views than you too. Right. right. And and again, it's like I don't want it to turn into a debate because I'm not here to debate somebody. Mostly it'd be like, okay, I'm going to ask you a question, you answer it, and then I can ruminate on it. I can think about it for a while and then maybe we can debate later. But I don't think people learn a lot from debates as much as they think they do. Because at the yeah. end of the day, it's all talking points, and it's all who's got the louder Prove my agenda. By. Right, right. Yep. A conversation, just asking questions and exploring curiosities, I think is more beneficial to not only the people involved, but the people listening. And I think we've seen some podcasts who've gotten really popular that we talked about Ruby Frankie on the last mm -hmm. episode, where you start getting followers, you start getting this idea of influence and power based on how many followers you have that might come with financial gain for some people and sponsorship and blah, blah, blah. And now you have an expectation of, okay, well, now I have to push this boundary mm -hmm. because I don't want to get stale. That scares me about like if we ever do grow more than we've been growing. It's like, okay, how do we stay relevant to our beliefs and to our particular audience that we've built without becoming sensationalized. Yep. Absolutely. It's a hard thing. And I think I could have gone a very long time with my podcast mm -hmm. with that mindset of curious empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to have empathy for someone with a different side because they have a whole lived experience that I can't relate to, or maybe they do. And I'm just curious um, and so it's just like, just listening to that. So there might be some interviews that you think I am siding with that person just because how I present myself, but I present myself and I don't know it all. Right. And I would hate to feel like I'm so certain in something that I'm unwilling to budge and to listen to someone, maybe not budge on my beliefs, but at least listen to someone with empathy and curiosity not to convince them of anything, just listen. Right. And so that was how I went about all of that. And there were some things that I was like, you know, because I came about with that, there were some things that I was like, I have a new realization because I'm not so fighting against it and trying to tell right. you my point. Debate is just waiting for the person to stop talking so you can tell, tell your piece. A hundred percent agreed. Empathetic listening, you know, like you're fully present and you're listening to what they have to say, even if you disagree, which is a great skill to have. In a new relationship. I always talk about this with debates where, because I did a debate in high school. Uh -huh. And um, when you watch presidential debates or political debates and blah, 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 in those types of debates, you have a third party essentially judging and scoring the, let's say, talking points, the research, the convincibility of your message. Mm -hmm. But when you get into a debate on a podcast or you get into a debate with someone in real life, you don't have that third party of justification. So no one's going to concede. Win. No one's going to win. Yeah. And it just turns into a mess, essentially. That's why I try to avoid debates on the podcast, for one. Yeah. You have a very interesting topic to bring to the podcast today. I let you bring the subject. Yeah. And I'm really excited because I read through all the notes and I'm going to have to tell you right now, it makes me look at some of my past relationships as utter failures, even though I'm not going to say that I regret having those relationships. But if I would have followed some of these talking points and ideas and styles of love and styles of attachment, I think I could have saved myself a lot of heartbreak. However, I'm a big fan of heartbreak because I think it teaches you something. <laughs> Absolutely. And every relationship is going to teach you something. And so don't ever, you know, like when you say it's a fail, it's a it's a learning opportunity, right? right? Like it was it was a painful learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. That fear of failure can keep someone in a relationship that's not good for either party way too long. Right. So please just give yourself permission to be like it's okay to learn from this it is and okay. move on. And to care for this person, I want to care for them enough to let them go because this isn't helping either of us. Right. And so many, so many of these relationship love gurus and stuff like that that we play and some we agree with, most we don't. I'd say one of the biggest talking points that they bring to the table is the things that you as a man or a woman should avoid in a relationship or getting into a relationship to avoid heartbreak, blah, blah, blah. So what does that do? It keeps people from even attempting to get in a relationship. Yeah. I think you've heard about the great divorce that's been like prophesized 
on social media, the idea is that in the next 10 years, that divorce rate is going to go to like 80% because women are finally going to be like done with it and they're all going to have a mass divorce. They're also talking about the mass drought of relationships because people are taking longer. They're being more selective. They're being more particular. Are they being selective in well, the right ways, though? So this <laughs> is this is the part that I think is interesting because when you see – this is what – okay, I'm going to have to phrase this correctly. The red pill dudes talk about the rise of hoe culture, Right. Women are getting bigger body counts. They're getting more dudes. They're getting more this. we are. Right. (laughs) But then the men have to ask themselves, okay, well, they're not just out there fucking themselves. Yeah. It takes two to tango, right? Yeah. So when you create this idea with men that don't get into a relationship with a low-value woman, well, who's creating the low-value women? Yeah. It's the dudes out there fucking all these girls because they're being more selective in who they choose to give their relationship energy mm-hmm. to. Yeah. It's the Ouroboros. It's the snake eating its own tail. It's cyclical. It's never ending. And the fact that people are like charging money to the dummies out there for relationship courses and life coaching and all this bullshit, they are literally profiting off of a problem that they are creating. Absolutely. That's capitalism. Beautiful, beautiful example of capitalism. So this subject actually came out about because, oh my God, I love that I'm admitting this. I watched Love at First Sight. Not willingly. It was me and my bestie. We were hanging out and she was just like, you know, let's snuggle and watch a show. And I was like, okay. And I was like, what do you want to watch? Like, let's get like a rom-com or something. She's like, have you the new season of Love at First Sight? And I was like, I hate reality TV. (laughs) So dramatic. And people, again, it's a lot like social media. I'm just going to act like a fucking fool so I get more attention or, you know, be overly dramatic because the cameras won't like me. Mm -hmm. Um, This show fucking sucked me in, man. I told her (laughs) I gave her one episode. We watched like four back to back. Um, And it was just like, oh, please say this. Oh, please say that. No, don't do that. Oh my God. Like I'm hitting her and I'm like, ah, why are they doing this to each other? And I was like, I don't think a lot of folks know what makes a good, healthy start to a relationship or a foundational thing. You know, it's like, we're going to just find out, um, the hard way or have our first fight even after we're married, you know, and not understand how each other works Mm -hmm. during disappointment or whatever. And so I was like, what is like a, a quicker way to get there? Because we are in that instant gratification society, right? right. Love at first sight is a big one. Like a couple of weeks before you get married or whatever. A couple of days it feels like before you get proposed to. But then we still have that turn them and burn them mentality with, you know, swipe left, swipe right, mm-hmm. right? You know, like we're just moving through things, but we're not getting deeper and saturated into potential healthy relationships. It is if it's not perfect right at the beginning or if it doesn't feel right at the beginning, it's trash. Right. But what are you actually looking for in perfect? Are you looking just for physical attributions, Mm. just for financial potential, just for, you know, family planning? Like, hey, we have we agree we want kids or we agree we don't Um, like those are really basic things. You should still absolutely look for those things. But there are some other things below the surface that many of us aren't aware of our own um, way we show up. And so how would we look for it in somebody else? And these are quick ways to like get deep, get real deep, real quick without being creepy, Mm. without being like, Hey, tell me, you know, like first date, you're on a first date or like even messaging, you haven't even met in person. You're like, tell me about your biggest trauma, you know, cause you're (laughs) trying to get to know someone and like your compatibility without going like, and re-triggering trauma either right like that can be um and so these are some potential things to just understand so then you can understand yourself better and then look for those in somebody else if you have a compatibility need there so i just want to tell you how i'm gonna say 80 percent of my relationships in my adult life all started they all started with like just the basic i kind of like you oh she kind of likes me right and then the physicality of it. This girl wants to sleep with me? Awesome. Yeah. She wants to sleep with me again? Great. She still wants to sleep with me? That must mean that she really likes me. 
maybe that's like a younger man's thing because I think I, I matured a little bit in my late 30s. But <laughs> that that was, to me, the sign that a relationship was starting was like, this girl's not sick of being physical with me yet, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not going to, like, defend that, guys. We're stupid. We think with our dicks the majority of our life. Eventually, hopefully, some of us grow out of that and become a little bit more intelligent. But I'm telling you, up until, like, age 30, that's really what we're doing. Because I don't know what it is about guys. We feel like there's, like, this time that we have of prowess, right? There's an urgency, it a sense of urgency. eventually. Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, I'm not going to be this physically attractive and fit past this certain age. I saw what my dad looked like. I saw what my friend's dad's looked like at this age. I got to get in while I have this. And it's funny because that sounds like on paper what our idea of women are. Like, oh, they, they feel like they're going to mature faster. Their boobs are going to sag. Their butts are going to get big and no one's going to want that. Blee, blah, blah. But I think dudes feel that way more. They just don't recognize it. Mm. That's just my opinion. That's where I come from. Yeah. So there's a sense of urgency, mm-hmm. right? That you want to hurry and meet your potential mate yeah. for life. And, and so if something doesn't work out right away, you're like, bag him. Like, right. let's go. New yeah. one. Right. And so, but... Do you understand what you're looking for outside of some of those surface things? Yeah. And that's where, as I read this, I'm like, shit, I'm going to learn something today. Right? Because so- I learned, I'm like comparing this against my marriage. And I was like, I wish I kind of knew some of this too. <laughs> um, Teacher, let's teach. Right? So first of all, I want to talk about some, like the, the three questions you can ask mm-hmm. that aren't so probing that it's creepy, but a nice way to hurry and check for compatibility. So if you're just chatting online, just kind of getting to know each other, instead of asking what's your fucking favorite color, you can ask (laughs) a few other things, right? right? Like, you know, a big one I think is super important and super important for my value system is how do you take care of yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally? Because if I am looking for a mate who like has no emotional intelligence or does not know even how to show up emotionally, probably not someone I want to deal with. And I don't want to train someone like I'm not, that's in my life. No, early twenties. I wanted a fixer upper for sure. Oh yeah. I hear that a lot, especially in this state. Well, it's women who are like that motherly, like, you know, like, and and it's absolutely socialized as well. Um, you know, men are just dumb apes that we got to train, you know, like that is absolutely look at all the sitcoms. (laughs) that are out there right oh my god yeah you're right so it is it's absolutely a trained thing that we have heard this messaging for so potentially it looks like that but that i want to know physically mentally and emotionally how do you take care of yourself right i probably am drawn to people who are more physically fit because i think they they take care of themselves but they might have a really shitty emotional or mental health And they just are so, you know, or maybe they have, they look beautiful, Mm -hmm. beautiful naked too, but like they're so insecure. They can't even walk down the street without like, you know, they, they just have so much insecurity and that's not at all what I'm attracted to. So that, that question there is going to hit so many things that you're trying to seek after for somebody. Diana hit that nail on the head early on in this episode, in this podcast history, where she said she learned to avoid the dudes that were built and ripped and stuff like, like that because she understood how much of a dedication of time and energy that lifestyle requires. It is. And at the end of the day, her experience, that outweighed a relationship. It's and like, a lot of times it does. I got to go to the gym. I got to get my miles in. I got to get my protein in. I got to get all this done. Can we skip lunch? Can we skip uh, a walk in the park? I got to get this done. It, that becomes their mission in life is to keep that physique and yeah. that lifestyle in check. And How then the relationship. You make this pie that yeah. you love to make because now it's a thing that I have to have around, you know, and yeah. I don't want to eat that because I have to stick to this calorie intake. Um, that and honestly, I'm going to tell you from my lived experience, so please understand this is not true, all, you know, 100% true. The prettiest people are usually the most insecure. <gasps> like <You're> the, right. <laughs> the, the people who just work on themselves, their physical appearance over and over and over and over again. And like that's most of their time dedicated. There's like just naturally pretty people that are like, here I am, you know, I fucking woke up this way, yeah, yeah. whatever, you know, and then like their, their, um, 
confidence is way more attractive than what I think confidence is like the one number one attractive trait. Mm -hmm. And so when someone's not confident, I'm like, I don't (laughs) care how pretty you are naked Bye. Bye, you know, (laughs) or not naked. But um, so I love that question because it's going to get to a lot of things that are super important to a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. We know there are eight dimensions of wellness mental mental <laughs> mental physical emotional there's cultural um spiritual uh i can't list them all right now out of the top of my head but that's going to get quite a few things like how do you take care of yourself right so i love that question and it's pretty light on the surface but you're going to get dig pretty quickly mm-hmm. and you're going to find out pretty quick like oh i don't really take care of myself emotionally like what do you mean take care of myself mentally right i I don't know. And so it's like, I'm fine. I don't need help. Right. And so I'm like, "Ah," you know, maybe they're just not aware yet. And so that's going to tell you where they're at on their journey. Um, Another one that I think we avoid as human beings because we don't want to be like the Debbie fucking downers. Right. Right. But how do you deal or how do you handle dissatisfaction or disappointment? Mm. Because I can tell you when someone's up, they're up and they are fun to be around and they're great. But maybe they are a person that throws a massive fucking tantrum when something's not perfect. I don't want to be with someone like that. Right. Or, you know, maybe it does. Maybe I'm the tantrum thrower and like that. But it's like rarely because we're going to show up our best selves when we're first dating. Oh, yeah. So it's hard to see this dissatisfaction or this uh, like disappointment until like and usually that's what spurs a first fight. Uh, Stephanie, who was on the show several times, says she dates through the seasons. Because that first season, let's say that first three months, it's going to be the surfacey, oh, And yeah. then the next season is going to be the real first glimpses of what this person really is in their physicality and their mental wellness and health and in their appreciation for their partner. And if you can get to the third season and you can still handle it, mm-hmm. you've got a pretty good chance at making that relationship work. Yeah. So that's why she says date through the seasons. And 100%. The first few months of dating is bullshit. Like you are, oh, so they call you, it the honeymoon stage. You are living up to whatever package you sold them on those first few dates, or whatever you wrote in your goddamn Tinder profile. Like right. you know, like okay, oh shit, I said I work out three or four times a week. I guess I'm working out three <laughs> or four times a week, and then eventually you're like, I think she realizes I don't have to do this all the time. Yeah, you know? it's not as important as I thought it was when I wrote it in my profile. Absolutely. And and we'll definitely go into the five stages of relationship, just like your friend was saying, the seasons, because yeah. she definitely has uncovered those stages. Mm-hmm. And they're really important to understand. Um, so you know, how do you handle disappointment and dissatisfaction? Like what would you even say if someone asked you that? Would you lie? Would you, you know, like when I was younger, I would. Exactly. And that's obvious. Yeah. If it's like too good to be true, like everyone has you know, and I usually say, like, I have to have a bit of a boohoo. I'm going to be pissy ornery, and that's when I need my most space. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to be like, okay, let's fucking solve this. Yeah. But I need my time to first just mourn whatever I lost. Right. And and I usually want to do that alone. And sometimes it comes out in anger. And it's not, I'm not angry at somebody. I'm usually angry at the situation or angry at myself. And so when you come in, I'm going to turn that onto you. So best just right. let me have my cool down period. Don't make yourself a part of the problem. That's what I learned a long uh, time ago. And so many people want to solve it or take you out of your discomfort. Right. I'm okay being fucking <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Take the signs and not save me. GTFO and let them handle it. Otherwise you are now inserting yourself into whatever's pissing them off. Yeah. And it's going to take longer for you to get out of the doghouse that you didn't even have to be in in the first place. Yeah. And all you have to say is like, hey, I'm I'm here when you're ready, when you need me, you know, let me know. Um, and I had I remember having an ex-boyfriend who thought he told me that, but he just like ghosted me. And I was like, what the fuck? I was going through one of the darkest <laughs> times of my life and, and you just, just left. He's like, oh, I was sure. giving you your space. And I was like, <laughs> then I, you never verbalized you were giving me my space. So how do you know when I'm done with my space? And like, right. there was never a check-in. It was so weird. Anyway, I totally ended up that ended that relationship. But, um, so I think that's an important one to ask because you're going to see, of course, how people act when they're high and they're happy and they're excited. And this is fun and new and, I'm going to be peppier most likely, 
But, you know, if I'm dissatisfied or disappointed, how do I show up? Because if we have very different ways we show up, we're going to have to either navigate that or we're not compatible and I don't want to deal with your fucking tantrums. Bev's Video Kingdom. Because the movies won't talk about themselves. So Andy crawls through this river of shit. He comes out, visits a dozen banks, and no one's like, I'm a little concerned about the guy in the suit. <laughs> right. It smells like shit. You mean, you, mean, you mean the guy that literally washed himself in a river full of shit? Is it supposed to smell, like, smell good? Dude, that's completely the mall rat stink palm, which takes like three or four days to wash off. <laughs> oh, last time I scratched my ass, it smelled like Bigfoot's dick for a week. <laughs> Bev's Video Kingdom. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The other one, of course, you have to have some type of sex conversation. But I love this one because it is, I need to draw the sex sex spectrum with you. What does your ideal sexual relationship look like? So ideal, like what are you expect, you know, what's your expectations? Is it sex every night? Is it kinky? Is it fun? Is it flirty? Is it with other people? You know, I want to know this. What is ideal for you? Mm. And then what is the ideal even if it's low and what is ideal even when it's high because there's an ideal low right like Mm -hmm. hey life is busy but I still want to at least have sex once or twice a week so we can continue our you know or connect Um, but I understand but if they don't have an ideal low or they don't have like even a, a range they're just thinking sex every night or it has to be like this that person has an unrealistic expectation and you're going to fight about this. You're going to have um, difficult conversations and may not get through them and it may end your relationship. So I love that one because it's like the spectrum. And then let me draw my spectrum and then let's compare. Are we even close to that? Mm -hmm. Can I, am I willing to give and take or compromise or find a different or us build a new spectrum together where we agree and we continually connect on? That's what long-term relationships do, by the way, people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But just knowing first off, where does someone stand? What are their expectations? Um, Like what do they imagine their best sex life to be like? You can ask it in a very fun way too and like sexy flirty way, but like, okay, like taking that ideal sexual image, what if it's like a a lull in your relationship or a lower time or a busier time? Mm -hmm. What would still satisfy you enough that you wouldn't be completely heartbroken or upset or, you know, and so that's like the ideal low if that, helps you kind of define what I'm talking about. Yeah, and that's a hard one too, I think, because I think most uh, intelligent men, that is the one that we skirt around the least because we don't want to feel like we're pushing an agenda of, I don't get enough sex from you, you know, because that does make, in, in my experience, a woman even more defensive about the situation. But a communication also is part of the key too, where it's like, okay, if you are not feeling very sexual, at least be open to communicate why. Mm-hmm. It's the silence that gets us creating boogeymen that don't exist. Or maybe they do exist. I don't know. <laughs> but the the lack of communication, the unwillingness to at least express why, yeah. I think is the biggest mistake that a lot of men and women make is because if you don't give us a reason, if you don't give us a justification of what the reason for a lull is or lack of mm-hmm. is, we're going to start creating our own. Yep. And that's the part where I think a lot of people get in trouble and they don't communicate that. And next thing you know, either someone's cheating or it's sexual disharmony. We're going to the lawyer, you know? Yeah. All the time. Too often you hear that and that's what breaks people apart. And it's never about the sex. It's always about like the, the communication or technique, you know, the right. whatever is under the surface. But... Um, you know, what does sex mean to you mm-hmm. is another kind of probe off of that question. What does it mean to you? Like, is it just a physical fun connection? Is it this ultra intimate action? Right. Is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Is it a fun side benefit? Right. How do people view sex or value it is also so important. And so that's kind of all within that question. 
The other thing is, if someone asks you a question early on in your relationship, you're trying to get to know each other and it was a little uncomfortable to ask, also ask it back to them or or answer. Also ask, ask it, it back. back. Right. Tech, they're, they're wanting to tell you something, but maybe it's easier to ask you to come to with an answer first. Mm. Instead of me being like, hey, so you know what? I uh, This is how I view sex. This is what my, you know, like that's hard to say. But I might ask it. And so always reciprocate with the same question or find a way to like probe to that they get the opportunity to answer. I think that's a really great clue that you have a good compatibility. Is this is this are we tossing the ball back and forth on who's (laughs) carrying this conversation or are you just asking and it feels like an interrogation? Right. It feels like an interrogation because you're not asking questions back and you're not reciprocating. Right. Which also just means that you're a poor conversationalist. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> which is a red flag and, in, and in my opinion. Huge red flag for me. I'm like, oh God. And which actually it's hard for me to like uncover that. I am just a conversationalist. I think that is We're a podcasters. Strength, that's, right? that's what we do. We want to talk to people. We want to ask you ask questions, questions. And I'm going to probe <laughs> again. And then I'm going to tell you a little story that's somewhat related. And we're going to connect on this like fun thing that we can connect about. Right. And then that we're going to keep building this. I get people to talk and talk and talk and talk. I sat next to a man on a plane and um, and it was just him and I. And then like the family was all around because I was the only one in the single seat or whatever. But um, and this is my extended family. So my in-laws and everyone were there. Mm. And this guy covered in tattoos, big old, big old gauges, like looked just like a hard rock. Right. Kind of guy, right. I was like, oh, hey, blah, blah, blah. What is it? You know, and we it was a three hour flight. And I'm so embarrassed to say I talked to fucking ear off. But it wasn't me just talking at him. It was like us conversating. And he right. was like. It's like, this is, this is just kind of creepy. And I don't think I'm, I think I'm in an alternate universe. I have never <laughs> talked to anyone on the plane and never enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. And he's just like, that was so easy. You just asked me questions. We talked about, you know, like our music we like. He had hand tattoos. So I was talking about my hand tattoo and I was like, Hey, like, when does it start to fade? Like how did, you know, yeah. all those things. And it was just like, it's so funny. And I'm all, anyone on the outside looking in probably thought I was flirting because I am like a kind fun you know I'm laughing whatever but he was just like I've never opened up to a random ass stranger Diana I've talked about this on many occasions where she has literal novels and encyclopedias of conversation all in text like she has these really meaningful conversations with people that she's interested in or they're interested in her in text but then when they meet in oh. person, that person can't fucking communicate and it breaks her heart because she's like, you were so open and honest and sweet and you know literate <laughs> in your words when you were texting. And now we're sitting across the table from each other and all you can do is nod at what I'm saying. Yeah, well, because it's 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 a barrier. Whoops, right. I always hit the mic when I'm kind of a hand talker. It's a barrier to be texting behind a screen, you know. Mm. That's why I, I honestly the stupid show. <laughs> <laughs> the like talking in the pods for love at first sight. Right. Like, is it love at first sight? Am I screwing this up now? Um, because I know there's a, several other ones, but um it's oh no, love is blind. I'm so sorry. I am screwing it up already. Yeah. Um, see, because I don't watch any of them. <laughs> but it's because it's like you don't have to see my facial expression right away. I can kind of like emotionally calm myself or something. And so then it's scary when you're in person and then you're all like, how do I act? Because like talking on the phone or even texting, you have this barrier. It's a protective barrier. But if you use that as a shield or a, a crutch, you will have a crappy conversation. So just become a good fucking conversationalist. conversationalist. Yep. I'm really interested about these six styles of yes. love. I've never heard of this before. Okay. And when I read through them, first of all, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go like look at the etymology of them. I'm like, okay, well, I know what Eros is, but then Ludus, Mania, Storge, Agape, Pragma. You're going to have to help me out with this because I'm fascinated by words and what their meanings are. So let's go ahead and jump into this one. So um, a lot of people talk about that there are six styles of love and they originate from Latin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like in the English, we just have love. 
Right. Like, I love my friend. I love this pizza. You know, like, I love this or whatever, right? <laughs> it's a very broad word. It's very broad. <laughs> and so these styles of love um, also are how love shows up and how you want love to be given back to you. So mm-hmm. sometimes people can say they're like the five love languages, but it's really just the style of love that you mm-hmm. are um, giving off. And it doesn't mean that your like main style is going to always stay like it can, it can ebb and flow and you can learn to love in different ways, but it's important to recognize how is your love showing up? Mm -hmm. How is your love showing up and how's their love showing up? Right. Right. And so the first one, um, and I, I'm going to read from my textbook that I use for my human sexuality class, but is arrows. So that's the romantic style. You know, you tend to place their emphasis on physical beauty as they search for ideal mates. So it starts with physical, mm-hmm. which you think romantic. And you're like, what? I thought that would like be deeper. But no, it starts with surface level. Romantic erotic lovers delight in the visual beauty and tactile and sensual pleasures provided by their lover's body. So typically these people are going to be very touchy feely. Right. They're going to be and they're like, oh, that's that's one I'm uncomfortable with. <laughs> I don't love it. And right. uh, this is actually where me and my spouse struggle the most. Interesting. He loves to touch. Yeah. And I almost and I found out is because I'm I have like the texture like I get overwhelmed, like sounds, everything, yeah. like all that. Anyway, so not me. Not, not me. you. I don't recognize yeah. this one. For it me. wouldn't be me either, honestly. Right. Um, they tend to be very affectionate, openly commutative. Um, so usually like oversharers sometimes mm-hmm. too. It can feel a little suffocating when someone comes at you with Eros and you're not that type of lover right. either. So the second one, Ludos, is more game playing love style. So as soon as I read that, I was like, Yep, that's me. I'm like the fun loving, like, you know. Let's just play a game. Let's let's tickle each other and goof off and tease each other. And I love that. But then I kept reading, reading and I was like, ooh, okay. So they like to pil- play the field and acquire many sexual conquests with little to- or no commitment. Mm. And then I was like, actually, that is probably me. Like, that's oh. just, it's not great to hear it. But yeah, love is fun. The act of seduction is to be enjoyed 100% me <laughs> and relationships are to remain casual and transition transitory. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, eh, yeah, like I, I can leave them and not look back. Like I am not an attached person. Yeah. Um, little different with my marriage now, you know, like 13 years kind of thing, but historically absolutely how I would have shown up. Um, mania. And I probably put this wrong in our notes. But it is the possessive love style. Ooh, okay, possessive. Possessive. They tend to seek obsessive love relationships where often characterized by turmoil and jealousy. These people live the roller coaster style. So these are those toxic lovers that like are usually on the the shows, you know, uh, reality TV because they're entertaining, right? Um, they in which they display affection for the lover brings ecstasy and the mildest light of produces painful agitation. So the mildest light. Right. Anything that like doesn't work out. It's like, oh, oh my God, they hate me. You know, like, you, the yeah, yeah. Dra- dramatic lovers. This is mania. And it's so interesting because I've heard it said by many people, either on the social media apps or just in person, that people with this love style don't attract to the same type of person yeah they are only attracted to someone that will not outshine them Mm -hmm. like this is love bombers they're love bombers and they don't love bomb other love bombers it's almost they can smell it before they even see it yes yeah um or sometimes they do find each other and you're like jesus those people are fucking toxic and they're together and then they're broken up and then they're together and they're broken up and they're very open about it and they're always like talking about like social media stories and he did this and now we're that and oh I love him we're back together right like, like nothing ever everyone happened. knows this person in their life yes or several okay so the companionate love is storge and so it's kind of spelled storge mm-hmm. um and so it's slow to develop affection and commitment but tend to experience relationships that endure this style of love um, is without fear or turmoil, a peaceful, quiet kind of relating that usually begins as friendship and develops over time into affection and love. 
I was like, okay, mm. I can kind of see like that is where like my marriage is at. Right, like right. definitely. I mean, I still crave that um, playful conquesty, you know, yeah. like, like there's just no, like I need a little excitement, a little challenge, mm-hmm. I think. And then this one's feels boring to me, but it's secure. Yeah. So honestly, I would say that this is where I fit. Mm. However, I have the intelligence to know that that is not the most attractive kind of love. So I can be flexible with how I am with other people, but this is where I want to say like my medium should be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Your level. This is is where like I want to level off and hopefully live the rest of my life with someone that doesn't mean that I'm looking for someone that has the exact same love style. I'd say of all the ones that we've talked about so far, this is the one that's the most flexible because it means that you have the emotional intelligence to adapt to other people's love styles to a point where it's not breaking your own personal belief or, or structure, right? Yeah, but what you'll see is a lot of these people get dumped. Yeah, hi. And then, then you're like, yeah, hi. <laughs> Because you're not like passionate and you're not like, hey, I love you so much. It's kind of like I need that slow build and it takes me time to open up and trust you. And so this is where it's sad where like, you know, some people are like, he's just not into me. I'm going to leave. Whatever. And so because. Well, and my thing with girlfriends like this, she's like, I'm just too passionate. I'm like, I know there's passion all over the fucking (laughs) restaurant that we work. And there's passion all over Uh, like your Instagram right now. I can see it. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So a gape is the altruistic love style, which is characterized by selflessness and a caring, compassionate desire to give another give to another without expectation of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. You know, such love is patient and never demanding or jealous. These are the people that get walked over. This was me as a teenager. Yeah. This was me as a teenager. This is where you hear the words simp or Mm -hmm. pussy whipped or, you know, all of those things that's like, this is such a pure love though. Like they are not expecting anything in return. And they usually, this is where, um, probably, uh, some, some game playing lovers will seek out a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's like, I also think that these are the people that become nuns and (laughs) these are people who like selfless, they direct whatever kind of passion or, or sexual energy or romantic energy they had into something that's more beneficial for mankind. Because they realize that there really isn't a place in the romantic market for a person like this. I Sadly, I think that's more They're true gonna now struggle. than ever. They're going to struggle because people will uh, use and abuse them. Yeah. And there's no, you know, like, um, respect for that. If I can walk all over you and you're still going to love me like a little puppy, like, pff, right. you know. And so someone who's, like, conquesting, you're not a challenge. They're going to dump you and move on. And right. So, this is, this is unfortunately, eventual. Unfortunately, yeah. this is how it shows up. But if we're not aware of this in ourselves, like that's why I'm saying, like I'm reading some of this. I'm like, Ooh, that is me. Yeah. That is how I yeah. show up. Now that I know that that's how I show up, I can do stuff about right, it. Right, right. And so the other one, the last one is pragma, which, you know, pragmatic love. We tend to select lovers based on rationale, practical criteria, such as shared interests. Um, they're likely to lead m- to mutual satisfaction. These individuals approach love with a business-like fashion, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get the best uh, uh, romantic deal by seeking partners with social, educational, religious, and and interest patterns that are compatible with their own. I went about dating when I met my husband in this pragmatic way. Mm-hmm. I had a fucking checklist somebody had to tell me right. about all this because I was like, I, I know I come at it with this like um conquest type love mm-hmm. and if i keep going at it i'm not going to get the person i know will i will be happy with in the long run so i went at it a little different way and it did, was like i still had like a lot of fun loving and goofy yeah. you know stuff but um it was way more pragmatic it was way more like rational um but looking back i'm like <laughs> There's some mania in there, too. <laughs> Would you think that, and this is just I mean, my thought, that this pragmatic love is probably the one that pretty much everyone that we just talked about on this list will eventually fall to as a way of finding a partner because it just makes sense on paper with someone else who's looking for similar things. It's like, if I just become a little bit more pragmatic about my love style, 
it is more negotiable and more debatable mm-hmm. with a person of like why we would make sense together. We're you know, because like lessening the emotion a little bit more. You're this is where I say the emotional intelligence comes in. I think as we get older and we start losing some of the values whether it's physical or emotional that these different love styles bring to us at the end of the day, you're kind of forced into pragmatic love because your resources aren't what they used to be when it comes to physicality or when it comes to energy. I mean, think about it. Think about if you're in your twenties and you're the party girl and you can just go all night and do some shit, Mm -hmm. but then 35 hits, you're like, I'm in bed by eight. That's not fun. So you need to be pragmatic about someone who you are now going to be looking for as a partner who has very similar lifestyle choices that you have now. Your strategy might change, but what is the key way you love that person? Got you. And so I was like, I can love somebody who I can get along with, Mm -hmm. who has these same values. I don't even care what they look like at this point, but I will, I can love somebody. And that's how, like, I almost convinced myself of it. Luckily, I found a great person who's willing to grow with me. Yeah. Lots of fucking turmoil. Like, we fight all, not all the time, but we've had some massive things that we've had to grow together and choose together, right? And so that, I mean, that's why we've made it 13 years. We also have very, very different attachment styles. And this is probably the number one reason we have fought. Very and I'm sure we're way over time. How are we? We're fine. <laughs> I'll talk all day. Um, but of course, I want to ask myself what type of love style I am mainly showing up with when I say I love this person. What type of love is coming up for me? Mm-hmm. But what type of attachment style do I have? And do can I recognize an attachment style in one another person? Right. So I'm going to start with anxious, ambivalent attachment style. Okay. So typically they want to be close to others, but believe that others may not want to be close to them. So I want to be with you all the time. Why do you never, why do you always choose your friends over me? You know, like that's going to kind of show up that anxious. They worry that partners do not really love them and thus they may leave them like, Oh, you're don't leave me. Don't leave me. You know, like it's very much that anxious. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it may want to merge completely and be engulfed by that partner. I am going to now have all the same hobbies and likes that you have. We're going to do everything together. You know, like I never want to leave your side. Yeah. Um, relationships characterized by roller coaster emotions and shift and possessive sexual attraction and jealousy. Relationship duration on average for this type of person, five years. Interesting. I mean, again, that sounds like maybe me when I was first learning how to be in a relationship because that's what you think possibly you have to do, but yeah, these are also learned, um, since infancy. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times how you were raised and other things and your attachment style with your parents. Well, it's kind of a survival thing too. 100%. And so, um, for me, I am the avoidant attachment style. Okay. Explain. (laughs) This is very uncomfortable. Be close to others. Did we already talk about this? Right. <laughs> um, believe that love is only trans- transitory and that their partner will inevitably leave at some point. I don't know if I had that belief system, but maybe to an unconscious level. But like I'm voidant. Like I'm not going to get too close to you because if I get too close, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to always just kind of hold you at arm's length. Um, worry about becoming dependent on another and distrustful of someone depending on them. Absolutely. I I like it. Um, being independent is such a high value to me. Mm-hmm. And then so knowing that someone's dependent on me, like it makes me uncomfortable to the point where I'm like, get your own shit, like do your own thing. Like, right. you know, and I can get a little defensive sometimes. Um, generally want less closeness than their partner seem to desire, fear intimacy and experience emotional shifts from highs to lows. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely like, I'm just like, why do you need me all the time? Please right. just give me my space. Um, and then relationship duration average is about six years for this type of person. So if you find two avoidant people or avoidant anxious, you know, you got to kind of see how they're going to show up. Like if you have an avoidant anxious person, which my spouse and I both are, mm-hmm. he's that anxious and I'm that avoidant. It was really difficult for us. We have had to navigate and change the way. And when I say when we grow together, we've been able to learn strategies on to change our attachment style right. to securely attached Lots of growth in this for for folks who are securely attached. They find it relatively easy to get close to others, comfortable about others close to them. 
They feel secure in relationships and do not fear abandonment. Comfortable with both depending on the partner and being depended on. Love relationships typically characterized by happiness, satisfaction, trust, reciprocal, emotional support. And this average one is 10 years. So... I mean, I think we're going to have to save the stages of relationships yeah. for another episode because that could be a whole episode in its own. Right. My last question for you on all this, I think, is how do children change this? Because I feel like a lot of these things make so much sense in a relationship if there isn't, let's say, I mean, marriage doesn't even like work its way into my psyche anymore when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think when you make huge financial decisions together, like a house, mm. And then you bring children in. There is like, I'm the type of person who I think, okay, well now whatever my style of love or my love language is, it now has to accommodate the decisions I've made with a person on a higher level, specifically a child, because that's where you hear a lot of people say, oh, you're such a selfish woman or a selfish man because you brought a child into this world, but you care more about, working out at the gym or more about your job or more about all these other things that have worked their way into your life. And I think that's where the term narcissism gets thrown around a little too much. Mm-hmm, you know, agree. The, you know, class B personality, whatever versus maybe you're just not putting your energy where it needs to be. I think that's where the, the definition of narcissism does get thrown around you can easily be a distracted person in a relationship and not realize the things you're leaving behind, mm-hmm. like soccer games for the kids or, oh, I don't remember the name of my kid's dentist, like that kind of shit. That happens all the time. It happens to me for sure. It's like, okay, we've had three pediatricians and I don't remember which one this is. It's not because I'm an absent parent. It's just because I've been so focused on other things that I didn't yeah. think about it. Yeah. But then, you know, yes, you can live in these love styles and you can think this is you, but- Man, that's where I say it. like a child or a huge financial decision you made with that partner, that's where you have to be flexible with what your your love style needs to be because now it's not about just a partner anymore. Mm. It is about a child. It is about, you know, the decision where if one of us leaves, it financially ruins the other one. There's so many things that there now is. sit yeah. on the shoulders of relationships and that's where I think sometimes people don't think about that. And if they were going to do it, they should do it before they have children. They should do it before they make huge financial decisions together. And many people don't until they don't. after. And that's Especially what, in this day because you're having kids at 20. Yeah, and you're trying to, you know, that sense of urgency again. Yeah. Um, And so understanding yourself and how you're showing up and understanding what you're looking for is going to be the healthiest thing you can do. Um, everything else will fall into place and grow together as long as you're emotionally intelligent. Three signs that your female partner may have daddy issues. Number one, and this is in no particular order, by the way. Number one, they are hypersexualized in themselves. They seek validation and attention through sexual expression. Number two, they are constantly attempting to please. They are looking and starving for validation. They need to be seen. Number three, they're very not boundaried in the relationship. And they pick this up from not having structure growing up as a child, not having a safe figure. And here's a bonus. They mistrust men. They find it very, very difficult to surrender, to be in greater depth with that person because when's the other shoe going to drop? And so what these strategies look like, they appear to be self-sabotaging techniques, but they're protective strategies. So there is truth to this. Mm-hmm. However... The thing that, you know, red flag is daddy issues. Daddy issues, 100%. Okay, so it can be mommy issues too. Mm-hmm. So we know based on, um, you know, psychology that if you do not have a secure home, if you don't, you know, everything he said, you will go into adulthood with those fears yes. and be that hypersexualized, attention-seeking person because you didn't receive it in the home. So it doesn't matter if you didn't receive it from your mom or, or your dad 
or just one and not the other, mm. you will still. And if you have those, we can trace them back to that family upbringing. Right. right? And so the whole thing that you're labeling it a daddy issue, what's so bad about daddy issues? The reason we talk about daddy issues is because they usually mean someone's going to show up in a space un- unlike others or have like an extra need or just be weird or like crazy, you know, like you're right. going to hear that. Like that's what we equate the word to of daddy issues for. He is specifically talking about some needs adults have. They're going to have some things that they've always craved, mm-hmm. attention, validation, security, so they're going to be looking for it. Yeah. Why are you blaming them for their upbringing? Right. Bringing it to their attention and giving them strategies and giving their their partner or potential partner strategies to support and grow that and let them see securities. That's when I'd fucking call him a guru. But right. him just telling us there's a problem, guys. There's a problem. <laughs> Everyone, there's a problem. You are now just a siren. You're not telling yeah. us that how to solve it let's just say that as a society, I think we're learning, right? Not absolutely. Every when day. I was a kid, daddy issues was synonymous with strippers. Stri- yep. Stripper. Yep. Prostitute. Uh, these days you'd say sex worker online, blah, blah, blah. Daddy issues, stuff like that. Cam girl. Yeah. Cam girl yeah. where at least I'm going to give this guy a little bit of a benefit of the doubt where his audience is mostly men. Yeah. He's a male love guru. And he's at least giving some examples of why some women are the way they are or men are the way they are. Men can have daddy issues too, a hundred percent. Parental issues. Let's call them fam- familial issues. Yeah. Because these started in the home. Right, right. And it was because you were starved for something. Right. So even though I don't agree with like, uh, let's say the initial context of the message, yeah. I think daddy issues is a loaded word personally. It's got too many connotations attached to it from past uh, usage, you should say. It's a clickbait word. It is a clickbait word. It's a buzzword, you know? So I do see why he used it, but then define why we're using those. It's like how you and I talked about, uh, what did I say? Friend zoned. Uh Yeah, that is a loaded word, but it is a parlance that at least men will recognize. You know, they'll relate to. If you have to use a word that, let's say, is not very PC or doesn't have like the connotations you expect remember who the audience is, you know, sometimes the audience doesn't know the big words. They don't know the words that are truly representative of what that is. Yeah. So you have to use something that is relatable. Is relatable. Right. Right. And so then you're like, Hey, daddy issues means this. And when we say this, we're talking about that and they're going to show up in this way. And then here's some strategies in my next video. Cause you know, get it 30 seconds, yeah. 60 seconds. Um, that's when I would really respect that person as a guru. Yeah. Because then they're going in, they're going to unfold what we know as what we know. And here's this surface label. What's really going on underneath the surface? There's a problem. And now how do we solve it? Here's a question for you. Do you think that we in this day and age, because of things like social media or just people connecting and talking more, I think there's more of like a social consciousness of people helping other people and talking about issues that used to be, let's say, taboo. Absolutely. That in the old days, you'd go to a therapist to see, or you'd have to talk to your high school counselor. Mm. Someone told me the other day the most useless position in high school now is high school counselors and guidance counselors because everything they do is within the boundaries of a textbook. Everything that they do is within the boundaries of, let's say, what a state's or legislators legislature's idea of what can be talked about in school very true. They have limitations. Right. They have limitations. And so people are learning more from, let's say, online social media experts or just people that have experienced it and were more comfortable talking about it. And I think that's where you get people nervous. For example, conservative states that are trying to put you know, pressure on critical thinking and things that make people think outside the box because they don't want people to feel comfortable in emotional intelligence. They want finding their own answers. Yeah. Yeah. Decisions. I think, you know, the, the biggest important piece, you know, you said that that high school counselor is that they vetted, they are vetted your online stuff. Who's vetting it. And how do we know? This is true. This guy just said he is a guru and his music and he might have a (laughs) bunch of followers. And so you think that that is vetting. Right. And so then you believe that to be true. I just broke his argument down or, or something. Mm -hmm. 
And I, how are you vetting me, everyone who's listening? How am I showing up? Granted, I have a few years of education and some credentials that share that, like, I should fucking know what I'm talking about. And if I don't, shame on me. And I'm actually held accountable to standards because of my certificates and my certifications. Um, And so I think that's the biggest thing is how are we vetting Mm. and how can we... uh, determine like what's really going like what's really harmful messaging or potentially harmful versus helpful Mm -hmm. Um, but I absolutely love we're in a day and age that more people are talking about this stuff Mm -hmm. the more people we have talking about it the less um, we might have more options to handle it like someone did this with this way and someone did that with that way and there's not one way that works that works Um, and so you know find what works for you but find out why it works for you too. And this is where I'll end on it is like, let's say positive or negative in the space of what's online social media and gurus and stuff like that. At least it's getting people asking questions and and thinking about it. And whether they agree or disagree, I'd say it's a complete 180 from, you know, we are Gen Xers, borderline millennials that we didn't have a whole lot of guidance in that. We were feral children. We were like, go out and play, learn your own life lessons. And don't then talk s- about gaslighting. Don't we don't even know what that, that. means. Right. We don't, you know, narcissism, like none of that language was even there for us to no, label it, to no. understand that there was a problem. Now I think we're, we've overswung that pendulum. We use overuse it and we, we over label. We over label a lot of things before we actually dig into it. Right. Yeah. But at least People are asking questions now and finding their own answers, and those might not be the right answers, but at least they're not just running wild in the streets. Anymore. You have a responsibility <laughs> to go find it and then go find out why it works. That is your responsibility as an information consumer. Love it. Well, this was definitely a longer episode, only about like 15 minutes, so I don't know why I'm complaining. <laughs> but I got to tell you what, like I've learned more in this episode than I've learned in any other episodes because like you've Thank brought you. new things to the table for me to, you know, disseminate later for sure. And hopefully when Diana comes back, we can talk about these things after we research them more. Yeah. Again, it's like what we were just talking about. You just gave me information. Now it's my job to see how this information applies to me and whatever the hell my message is on this stupid podcast, (laughs) make it funny, make it serious, make it dramatic. But yeah, I I just feel so much more enlightened now. And it's funny, like I'm 42 years old and I can't believe how much I don't know about what seems like things I should have learned already just through life teach human sexuality and there's so much I don't know and so many people come to me and they're like have you heard of this or this lifestyle and I'm all no and they almost act shocked that I don't like I'm not like uh, (laughs) you know all of these things and I'm like I I can dedicate a lot of my time but I'm still only centralized in certain areas right and so it's just so fun to but that's the thing thank you for listening thank you for sharing because that's how we're going to know and don't ever make yourself feel guilty that you don't know it all right we are constantly learning we're lifelong learners right we stop learning when we're dead and so there's always going to be things like no i didn't know that about myself i didn't know that about others i didn't know that's how i showed up in a space and now that i know i get to do something about it like how fucking cool right it's cool and it's exactly like what you talked about in the other episode about confirmation bias there's so many people in this world who say i've learned as much as i want to learn I've accepted as much as I want to accept. This is my truth. This, this is, is my truth. truth. So stop trying to put, guess what? The world's going to keep on changing yeah. long after you're gone. So <laughs> you may as well do yourself and your family and your friends a favor and learn a little fucking bit, right? <laughs> yeah. And ask yourself why. Why Why uh, do I have this belief system and I'm so dead set on it? Right. It's because I found just this piece of evidence that I loved. Right. A hundred percent. You know? And so then I'm like, eh, actually, I can argue myself out of this a lot of times. <laughs> and I'm like, this is what I think. Like, 
I leaving the church was very difficult for me because mm-hmm. I went back and forth and I still like I'm like I see some redeeming qualities. I I hated myself doing this, you know, and I hated when I was like that. And so I'm like, yeah, but I still see why it has that lure for a lot of people and, and that why people are still very happy mm-hmm. and can be very happy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I really try to shut up my confirmation bias as much as I can, but I absolutely know it's there and I have a bias. Yeah. So please do not listen to me <laughs> as gospel. Just listen to me as another thing to add to your bucket of evidence that you're going to continue to grow. So I can't thank you enough for your time here and again, I'll have you back. Like I said, hopefully Diane's coming back soon, but this has just been a really great time. And everyone, like I said in the previous episode, go to the Salty Sex Cast website. There's still lots of valuable information on there, a lot of great episodes in the past. And yeah, maybe someday you'll get back onto your own show. I don't know. We'll see. Ah, I need a producer, <laughs> someone to do all the background work. I'll just show up and talk. Well, until then, that. you can just show up here whenever and Thank you. spread your message on this platform. Thank you. All right. Spread it like an STD. Ooh. I will talk to you next week. <laughs> yeah.